All right, fam. Okay, guys, here we're going to do. We're going to open up uh, the scriptures. We're, uh, we're looking at Genesis chapter 34. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Uh, we will get you a Bible. We want to encourage you to go ahead and write your notes on the back of your program. Uh, I've been get, I'm getting, getting a lot of encouragement. Uh, you guys have uh, been going back. I have individuals who who've just started walking with the Lord or uh, or really seeking Christ, and now you're going and you're 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 listening to uh, Genesis from the beginning and, and beginning to read and catch up. I think that's really cool. Uh, just doing your due diligence to be the men and women of God and understanding uh, the the narrative that the Lord has given us to to how to view the world. So I just want to continue to encourage you to do that. Um, although we'll be taking a break from Genesis, hanging out, just exalting Jesus for him coming to the world to save us from sin and the penalty of sin. And then we will jump right back in Genesis. And the heart is that hopefully we will be um, done with Genesis by Easter. But don't hold me to that. All right. So, um, but that's the, that's the desire. <laughs> I'll start laughing. So um, here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis 34. And before we do that, uh, I just want to encourage you a uh, very... Very, um, very sobering passage, okay? And so I want you to go, go, try to go here with me as we look at this passage real quick. And, and before we enter in, I want to encourage you to know that you can ask questions. Uh, I don't know this week, I might not have, I don't think I'll have many answers, but you're going to ask questions. Um, it's not a faux pas at MacAv at all. I'm going to have Eric actually control the joint up here today. I'm going to just be reading and just making some comments uh, on the narrative. Uh, but before we do that, just want to uh, just remind us of where we are and where we've come. Uh, you know, before Genesis, we had done uh, John, I believe. We had done Galatians. Now we're doing Genesis. If you're new, we study books of the Bible uh, so we can slowly begin to gain the whole counsel of God's word. Uh, wouldn't that be cool when we have, we have a huge bash party, you know what I'm saying, when we finish all 66 books? I know we all be about 85, but when we finish it, it's going to be awesome. All right, so what we have here. Uh, as we have in Genesis, what we do, um, if, you're, if you're going back and you're trying to sort of put, all, put everything together, you have what they call primitive history or patriar- and patriarchal history or primeval. You've probably seen that primeval history, basically the beginning of things. Uh, beginning in chapters 1 through 11, what you, what you see in a nutshell um, with different characters is you see creation, the focus being God created in chapters 1 and 2, um, not necessarily the argument on how old things are, but the whole focus of God is worship, actually worshiping God because of who he is, and specifically um, understanding that God wants us to know one thing that he created. He created ex nihilo out of nothing, made everything because he's that good and wanted to share his goodness with people um, by creating people and allowing them to experience how cool he is. Does that. We have the fall of man, uh, chapters 3 through through 5, beginning to see basically uh, because of our our indifference and our act of rebellion, our stupidity and our audacity to think that we can be our own gods. Uh, We sin against God after after him just modeling and showing just 100% goodness. Uh, then what should have happened should have been destroyed. But what God does in his grace, he doesn't fully destroy us. What he allows us to see even now in, our, in the narrative as we're looking through Genesis is to see uh, decreation begin to happen after creation and seeing us begin to unravel ourselves. And one thing, hopefully, the conclusion that men should make and when we don't make it is pure folly. And that is without Jesus, without God, we will destroy ourselves. 
and that you need Christ. That's the whole, and at some level, that's the, that's the beauty of the narrative of our lives and the narrative of history and what God is showing. It how, is it not clear in Genesis, <laughs> right? I can sit up here and actually do a two-minute sermon and say, hey, wow, really messed up people, really good God, he's gracious, let's pray, right? Have faith that he's good, and that's basically what God is continually showing us. He wants us to get it that, wow, I need Christ because I'm evil and left unto myself, I would totally explode. Uh, we have the flood, which God gets so, because he's so perfect, he says, you know what? I cannot believe uh, everything that man's doing is evil all the time. He destroys creation, but he's so gracious to provide a remnant that he sets apart a people or a person, as it were, and his crew, his little family, and says, I'm going to destroy everybody except this crew, which is I will propose a typology of what he's done all throughout history and specifically now in the church. Okay, so you have the church in general, and then what God within the, the churches of all these different places with buildings and all these people waving their hands and big bands and all this stuff, he's saying within all that, there's actually people who actually love me. They are the remnant. Um, he does that, and you have the dispersion. People want to gather together because of our sin. We want to be our own God, build our own stuff. God sees it, says, what i got to do is i got to make sure that you understand you're not God, disperses everybody, and we're all messed up even today. Uh, then what God does, this is kind of God general. He's giving us a general overview of humanity as a whole, guys. And then what he does, he says, what I want to do is I want to hone in and I'm going to focus in on a specific family, a specific calling that I have. And that's where you get this whole crew with Abraham. And so uh, it, it finds itself in the patriarchal history. So that our forefathers, our fathers, the history of our fathers, those of the faith. Now you have Abraham and Lot, Isaac and Ishmael. Jacob and Esau, uh, which sort of overlaps with Joseph and his brothers. So we're almost in that stage of ending with the Jacob piece, and we're going to be entering into Joseph pretty soon. But we have a couple things to clear up, specifically what we're going to see in Genesis 34. All right, try to do it as fast as I could, guys. So let's go into Genesis 34. Can you go ahead and hit a button? Uh, now, real quick, what's happening here? Uh, please, go ahead. Now, what I, want, what I want to discuss is a few things. Uh, what, we, what we've had is we've had, now we've been dealing with this guy named Jacob, okay? Uh, third generation of, of, this, uh, of, this, uh, of, of believers, I would guess to say. I would say third generation of this new call of Abraham. He's under the lineage of Abraham. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're seeing a life of a guy, super passive, uh, doesn't step up at all, uh, very deceptive, really, really is about himself, sounds like a lot of us, right, including myself, right, without the power of the Holy Spirit. I think you can fit, you can fit my name right in a lot of the places where Jacob is. Uh, and we begin to see how God is gracious to him, even in his stuff and even in his sin. And I thought Care uh, had a good insight, well, uh, asked a good question last week when she was just like, well, what's the difference between Esau and Jacob, which I think just really uh, ding, 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 really sounds off the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel is Esau, you know, maybe he doesn't even have as many bad marks as Jacob. And, but we see that doesn't get him into heaven. What gets, him in, what gets a person to heaven is faith in Christ. So it's really hilarious that the guy who's actually probably worse is actually better spiritually, um, which is interesting. But which, again, I think exalts grace and how good God is. So, so Jacob runs, finally figures it out. He wrestles with God. Um, God is gracious to him again, doesn't allow Esau to cut his head off. 
Esau wants to kill him because he's because Esau has been tricked by Jacob, got his birthright stole, got you know got his blessing stole. But something happens where God graciously allows Esau to be excited about seeing Jacob. Uh, they reunite. Jacob repents, and uh, and then they go you know skipping off into the sunset. Esau wants to hang with Jacob forever. Jacob again says, "No, I'm gonna. I don't want to do this." I don't, it's kind of weird. He goes off and says, I'm going to do my own thing. Kind of lies to Esau because he says, I'll, I'll follow you to see her. And he doesn't. He actually sets up in Shechem, uh, which is just a, a side note. And so now we're in this part of the story now where uh, we get a little snapshot into a really sad case here. All right. Um, now, you talk about Dinah. Dinah, you don't hear much about her. Uh, you actually, when, when they're introducing all the kids of Jacob, I actually don't even think Dinah's mentioned. Um, in the beginning stages. This is one of Leah's children's, Dinah, uh, which means justice, which will make a lot of sense pretty soon as we, as we uh, look at the passage. And what's also very interesting, guys, I want to encourage you something. We've been going through Genesis for a while now, and here's what's cool. As I talk to you, you know what's cool about a lot of us? If we're really honest, before Genesis, we weren't very conversant about Genesis. And now you guys are talking about the characters and the timeline like a second nature. Y'all crazy. So, uh, all right, so Dinah means justice. Um, she's Leah's daughter, uh, which, we, which I, I, I propose will have bearings on us as we continue on in the text. Continue on E. And, and they're in Shechem. Now, the Shechem piece is interesting. You have to go back to Genesis 28 to see this, but it seems to me that they shouldn't be in Shechem. It seems that um, he had made a promise to God, and he was all excited about what the Lord had done when he was in Bethel, and that he was actually supposed to eventually come back to Bethel to worship. He doesn't come back to Bethel to worship. He actually goes to Shechem, and so I'm, I'm questioning. I don't, I don't actually think God wanted him there. And I bring that up to even say there's something about, and I, again, you know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm trying to be wise about, like, making sure I'm dealing with theology and practicality, but I, this is one of those things where probably right theology, wrong text, it seems that there's something about being where God wants you to be. Now, I want you to take that and run with it and start getting all, you know, being in your closet with two candles and stuff and a big stuffed bear and I wish I'd be God, like, you know, whatever. Like, don't get crazy. What I'm saying is, right, is that by faith we need to ask ourselves as we're walking with the Lord, you need to be prayerful and make sure that you're, that you're being honest. I don't think this is about where does God want me to be? And now I'm looking for something supernatural. I think it's really about being honest with our hearts and saying, okay, Lord, where do you want me to be? And then, which I've done many times in my own life and with people that I counsel, we'll ask that question and then you do a pro-con list and it shows you everything you want to do here is about you and this one is about God. Then I think God makes his point. You know, I don't know. God, but you're free to do whatever. But you want to ask yourself, Lord, where do you want me to be? And I've seen individuals. Uh, this is why I think there's something supernatural, spiritual about this. I've seen people. A friend of mine, Elliot Grudem. Um, I hope he doesn't listen, listen to this. He might be mad at me. But um, um, it's actually Wayne Grudem's son. If you don't, if you, he's a famous dude, whatever. He went he, when he was in Florida. He had been running for a while. And, and always wanted to do some business stuff. And it was amazing to me because I always thought, man, it seems like you should go into ministry. But I'm like, oh, well, what do I know? I know he's been discipling me, so I I'm not going to. And it was amazing. Like, his life was just crazy. And things kept happening in a horrible manner, just practically. And it seemed like uh, finally, uh, maybe six years after all this drama, he finally went into ministry. And now he's actually really enjoying himself. It's just, it's just interesting. I wonder if the Lord is going to talk to him later, like, you know, remember that whole time you was really about trying to get rich, and that's, that wasn't my plan for you. 
So just be, just be careful about um, just knowing where God wants you, is my point. Let's continue on. Okay, so here's what happens, guys. We hear in verse 30, uh, chapter 34, the verse starts with, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had, been, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. All right. Uh, the women of the land here, that might not mean much to you and I, but it's sort of like what, 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 the, what the author, which is Moses, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to help us gain a picture that, th- that this girl isn't being the most proper girl. Okay, it's almost like uh, Dinah went out to go and check out the city lights to downtown in the club kind of deal. Um, now, you don't know if she was freaky or what she was doing, but this wasn't, uh, this wasn't proper. This wasn't something you would do in the day and age uh, to just go out uh, and try to figure out what's going on uh, with the women of the land. Why? Because what, what's the women of the land, guys? It's Shechem area, right? So the women of the land are probably, they're not, they're not God's covenant people. They're in a foreign land. So to go check out what's up with the women of the land is probably not the best thing because they don't have a covenant God. Does that make sense? Okay, so they went out, so, so, uh, went out to visit the women of the land. And then in verse 2, when Shechem, son of uh, Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, and which, by the way, uh, Moses, for a reason, tells us, hey, this is uh, Leah's daughter. It says that he took her and violated her. Okay? Uh, when you look at the literal translation, it, it says something like, in the, in the Hebrew it says, uh, he humbled her. Which I think is, is a really uh, sad picture. Uh, that he uh, brought, brought, her, brought her low is a, is a picture here. He took her and violated her. I propose, uh, I think it's pretty clear, that he rapes her here. Okay? Uh, some people try to get out of it and say, you know, we don't know if it was rape. Um, it seems pretty clear when he's talking about the violation of rape. And, I, and I, I begin to look at this. And the reason why I'm pausing is because I, this was a hard text as I was looking at this. I'm like, a couple things. I, uh, the, the whole defilement and, and individuals um, being defiled. And um, I couldn't help but think about this Penn State thing. Um, I don't know if you guys know uh, what's going on at Penn State right now and, and how uh, these kids have been, uh, this guy's been accused of raping um, some young boys um, at Penn State. And, and I've, been, I've just been thinking about um, just how, how the effects of these things and how uh, men and women that I've counseled in the past and, and people who are experiencing uh, sexual abuse, uh, people who are experiencing, um, who've been molested, and, and just, uh, I want you to see um, some of the results of, of this action. Uh, but but, I, but I, I bring it up, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm scurrying right now, guys, because um, it, makes me just, it makes me really sad when I, when I know that in this room right now, there's probably some individuals who've been sexually molested, and no one knows. And there's probably some individuals in this room who might have molested some people. You might be the victim or even a criminal. And I don't know. Um, Look at verse 3. 
this is interesting. So he rapes her, and in verse 3 says, His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved her and spoke tenderly to her. Isn't it interesting? So, so he, he, he rapes her first. He, and then, I, I think this guy is so confused, he actually thinks that, no, this is, I, I love her. And he begins to try to settle things by speaking to her kindly. By being nice to her. It just reminded me, think, well, that's kind of weird, but I don't think so. I think we see this a lot. Uh, we see, you know, a guy will smack a girl. Do you remember that one? It was one, one, one this sweet girl came to one of our outreaches. It uh, broke my heart. You guys might even remember this. And she came and she was sobbing because uh, uh, the, the, the guy had just hit her with a pole in her head. You guys remember this? And we were in the hallway talking with her, and she's sobbing and crying. She's scared uh, to go back to this guy, and she wanted some stuff from us. And we're all talking to her and praying for her. And we said, listen, um, here's, the, here's the thing, though. You can't go back to this guy, all right? We want to care for you. Will you, not, will you please not go back? She's crying. She says, yeah, okay, I won't go back. You know, and it took a while, and she was scared. And then we said, I, I forget the time, because it was a while ago, guys. I thought it was like either we wanted to see her the next day or in two days uh, to talk through what the next steps looked like. She never showed up. And I wonder if, you know, she got back home, and the guy said, hey, I know I smacked you. I know I hit you in the head with a pole, but I'm sorry. You shouldn't have got me that upset. Or, you know, or it'll never happen again. See, this is really home. This is this is home for me because my mom was abused. Um, I saw my mom be abused seriously uh, from the ages of around I don't know what six to to twelve or so, eight to twelve, uh, just consistently abused. And once, actually, my mom was raped by my dad. And so this hits home for me because I always wonder, like, like why why did you stay? Like, and then and then I wonder, looking at my dad, I'm thinking. Like, how did that seem like love to you? How did that seem like care to blacken your, your wife's eye, you know, and to take advantage of her sexually? I always wondered. It breaks my heart. He's so confused that whatever, for whatever reason, Moses wants us to see that after he does this, this horrible act, um, he wants to speak tenderly to her. He's trying to comfort her. Look at it says this. It says, um, verse 4, And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. He says, I can make it better. I'll just marry her. I'll, just, I'll marry her and we'll be, we'll be all set. Look at verse 5. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. What do you think about that, guys? Imagine, okay, I have, I have a daughter. Okay. I find out my daughter has been raped. Will you keep quiet about it? Will you, will you say, well, let me just wait until the guys come home? Here, here is a clear demonstration of the passivity of Jacob. I'm not going to tell you what, I, what I'm thinking about doing, but I mean, 
why would he do nothing? Well, here's the sad thing. Not to excuse it, guys, but there's something about, I think the, the author wanted us to know that it's Leah's daughter because we know he never loved Leah. And I wonder if he never really loved Leah's offspring. I wonder if there's something here. Because notice we're going to see a few things. We're going to see him focus on that this is uh, Leah's daughter, but we're going to also see that the only people who come to her aid, just notice, notice who comes to her aid, okay? Just to prove the fact that I think there's something about the lineage that matters here. It doesn't do anything. Verse 6. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Right? So now you got the king. He comes over, okay, knowing that his son has probably done his malicious act. And he comes over to try to smooth things over, right? It says in verse 7, Now Jacob's son had come in from the fields, and as soon as they heard what had happened, they were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not have been done. Look at the, look at the beautiful poetry. Look at, look at what Moses is trying to show us there. Notice he uses the name Israel there, Right? He says, they were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Well, was there an Israel yet? No. Right? He's, he just got a name changed last week. <laughs> right? So, so, so there's something, here's what, here's what I'm proposing, here's what Moses is doing. He knows the people he's writing to are reading this as Israel. And he's saying, let's be really clear here, if you want to have debates on how we are to treat women, on how we are to treat, uh, to handle sexuality, let's be really clear here. This is defiled. This is, this thing should not happen. We should not treat women like this. It's a disgraceful thing. It shouldn't have been done. I love how Moses gives us a little insight into the focus of God and his holiness. So they're upset. They have fury. And for heaven's sake, we don't even know. Um, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. We don't even know what Jacob's demeanor was, what his posture was. It seems like his kids are more concerned than the daddy. Guys, I'm telling you, here, here's, why I'm, here's why this is a struggle for me. Because I, I, in our community, I get so saddened by the lack of men. Not males, but men. Where this right here, to totally just turn your back on a girl who's been raped, it's kind of okay. It's not a big deal. She has no community, except her brothers. Verse 8. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Verse 9. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. Verse 10. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. He tries to buy them off, guys. You check that out. He says, hey, give us, look, I don't even want to talk about what happened. Let, let's just make it right. Let, he can marry her. We can intermarry. We can, we can hang out. Let's just, we can be together. Well, why do you think that's the case? 
Because, really? So you want me, so you, you just raped my daughter. You want me to now entrust the rest of my women to your men? To this culture? Really? Is that what you want? That's what you want me to do. Seems a lot. I just want to be together. Look at verse 11. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. Now, I don't quite know, guys. I don't know, I don't know if, he, if he knows they know or not. So I, I, I propose, I think, I think they both know that they know. Frank. He's saying, does it show like how foul the act is? Like he's kind of pacifying it. Can I get, throw money at it? I can give you anything. You know, here, you know, here, just take all this stuff. Let's just marry. Let's sort of just get it over with. Let's just forget it happened. You know, it's interesting. We could think that, but, but as we go down, we're going to see their real motivation behind why they want to be together and do everything together. We're going to see it in a moment. Let's, let's see why they want to do that. He says, uh, verse 12. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as, a, as great as you like. I'll pay whatever you ask. Only give me this girl as a wife. I'm just amazed. You know what I'm amazed? We're in verse, here's, here's the thing, guys. We're in verse 12. Don't miss this. We're in verse 12. We haven't heard Jacob say one thing about his daughter yet. Because, verse 13, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's son replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. So it says that the brothers spoke deceitfully. So they're like, we've got to do something about this. Our sister has been mutilated, right? She's been defiled. She's been raped. Something has to be done. No one's doing anything. There's no justice. In verse 14, um, he said to him, to them, we can't do such a thing. Right? We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. And that's probably, probably you know, when we think of the people of God, circumcision uh, was a marker that, that, that modeled, like, say, this is what it meant for you to be part of the people of God. You got circumcised. It says you was part of this co- community that was a covenant that believed in Yahweh. Okay? So he's saying, so basically in a nutshell, hey, you're not a believer. How can we, marry, how can we intermarry if you're not a believer? And notice this, that will be a disgrace to us. Verse 15, we will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Can you imagine that? So, so he's saying, look, we, okay, you've got to circumcise everybody, though. Verse 16, then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. He says, listen, okay, you want to... You want to have our women? You want to, you want to do this thing? Okay, well, you need to be like us. You need to be believers. You need to get circumcised. Right? You need to be part of this community here. Can you imagine? I mean, they had, yeah, I don't even get into the whole circumcision piece. I mean, they didn't have the tools we have today. There was no Novocaine. There was no topical analgesic. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is insane. And they're grown. Right? right? They're not like a two-month-old baby. These are grown men about to handle business. So look at this. Verse 18. He says... 
It says, their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. Verse 19, the young man who was the most honored of all the fa- his father's household lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter, which was, which was interesting to me because it just made me think about, this is like a, a guy who sort of uh, fakes his testimony to get the girl, right? And, 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 and so I'm going to encourage some of you, some of you ladies... You say, well, he, he's a Christian. He says he's a Christian, right? And, that, and that's as high as you go on a food chain, right? That he just says he's a Christian. I mean, so, so it just seems like he's like, what do I need to do? And I think some of us are guilty of this. Like, what do I need to do to get this girl? And so the question is, is his, the question is, is his, um, well, his circumcision, is his heart right, right? Did he just confess and repent and say, okay, I want to be a proselyte. I want to be one of your people. Or is he really just being manipulative to get the girl? See it all the time. See it all the time in our community. Uh, women who are settling for men and they just say, yeah, I go to church, right? Or they'll even do a few things to try to fool you and you get caught up. Look at this. It says in the, in the scripture, she lost no time doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Verse 20. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to uh, the gate of their city to speak to their fellow townsmen. And look what they say. Verse 21. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Verse 23. Look at the motivation. Totally impure. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? Won't we get, if we do this, isn't this a good business decision? Won't we, get, won't we make a lot of money? We'll get their women, we'll get their clothes, we'll get, we'll get everything. So let us give our consent to them, and they will settle among us. See? I'm proposing their hearts never change there was never any repentance. They clearly knew what they were doing. The daddy knew his son had raped this girl. They were going up to these guys knowing full well what they have done, and they simply, for whatever reason, did not care. And the sad thing is we're now in verse 23, and we still have not heard from the daddy. For the sake of time, Robin, let me just continue on. Verse 24. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. So they all get circumcised, okay? All the men, every man. In verse 25, it says, Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, okay? So, so they get circumcised. It's three days later, they are still like, oh, you imagine? To the point, notice this. Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. And notice what Moses says here. Do you see this? He says Dinah's brothers. But specifically, these are men born to Leah. It seems that the text is just trying to make clear that the people who came to her aid weren't just her half-brothers. That you don't see them in the picture here. You see the two men who are actually born of Leah. That they're like, whoa, man, you, you did this to my sister. I suppose there's some family strife going there. They took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting silly, killing every male. Okay, let's talk through that. So, you're a king, you have a prince, 
it should take a little while to get to the king and the prince, right? Right. But the scriptures say here, they put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. So they literally probably just went from door to door, right, with their swords, guys bent over, can't really move, can't defend themselves, and just slaughtered every man. Slaughtered the guards, right, to get to the prince, to get to the king, probably a lot of people. Interesting, notice, Dinah is held captive. She's in their home still. You see that? She's not at their, her house grieving, crying. Jacob still hasn't gathered his daughter, even after she had been raped. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled, where the sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else out there in the city and out in the fields. I mean, they're going crazy, right? They're just, they're looting, they're turning over, you know, cows and they don't see any in. Hey, you know, it's crazy, right? Verse 29, they carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking um, as plunder everything in the houses. Okay, verse 30, we finally hear from Jacob. Now, 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 now hear this. Let's see what he says, okay? And I'm saying this because hopefully many of us, hopefully all of us in this room will be dads one day. Some of us are dads right now. And, and if, you, if you are a passive dad, And you're not protecting your family. I pray you would repent of the sin of passivity. Because this breaks my heart. Look what he says, guys. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Do you see that? His response to the whole situation is not ethical at all. He's not like, wow, okay, he raped raped my daughter, raped your sister. That's bad. God needs to be just in this. But you don't go around killing everybody. His issue is never ethical. It's only tactical. Why did you do this? They might come beat me up. I don't have enough people to protect myself. That's his issue. Do you see that? This is a discussion. So verse 30, the dad comes into the picture. This is is Israel, right? This is our patriarch. His daughter's been raped, and a discussion is about him. Can Can I just share, for all of us, as parents, when we're talking about our kids, when you have kids, the discussion of me and mine should end. It should end. Because it's not about you anymore. The discussion should always be about them and we and us. But it's not about you. Because now you're called to raise an image bearer. And now you retell the story of the cross. 
And that's to live a sacrificial life for those you love. He says, we are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Look at what Moses does. Moses gives the, gives the guys the last word. I, I love this, the way, the way he does this. He says, but they replied, should he have treated our sister like a whore? That's how it ends. The last word. It ends with not Jacob rebuttal. There's no rebuttal, which I propose the author did on purpose. There's no rebuttal because his point is everyone's in sin here, but let's not miss the point. Justice should have been served should she have been treated like a whore. And obviously rhetorical question because there's no response. Of course not. We're in like this, guys. Um, in this room right now, some of you, some of us right now, um, a, a guy has defiled you, okay? You might not have been raped, but you've been taken uh, advantage of sexually. Um, you feel dirty. You feel like you can't trust a guy. Some of you have seen or been witness to someone being defiled, being taken advantage of sexually, being manipulated sexually. And, and I, I know individuals who, who can't, um, they can't have sex to this day without being reminded of their filthy past. They can't believe that someone would, would love them and care for them. And, and, and we're asking, so like, where's the cross in that? What, do I have to live out this shame? And, and I, wanted, I wanted to share with you, you don't. That in Christ, you can be new. The beauty of this story is that in the tragedy of this woman, that injustice will not linger forever. That even in this story in history, guess what God will do? He will make the injustice right by serving justice. Jesus knows what has happened to Dinah. And he knows what has happened to the men and women here in our body. I'm just asking our body to understand two things. First, that there is truly new creation in Christ and that we need to trust the gospel and know that whatever's happened in your past, the reason why Jesus died on the cross was for us as evil people to understand that we can't fix ourselves, you can't fix your past, even if you are the criminal. But there is new life in repentance. And that you can repent of your sin of manipulation, 
of fornication, of rape, you name it. That we don't have to go on living a life where we are defiling others and defiling ourselves sexually. And that you don't have to continue to replay in your mind your past sins. You can be healed by Jesus. By faith, God can make you whole. And that's what breaks my heart about my mom, guys. She's 50-something years old, and she stopped living about 20-something years ago. The shame and the hurt and the man that she trusted totally taking advantage of her. She just, she just, she just, just cashed it all in and said, life's not worth living. I'll just be angry and upset, and I'll mope around until the day I die. And she doesn't get to experience life in the gospel. And I pray that that doesn't happen in this body. I pray that that doesn't happen here. That that's the beauty of Ephesians 5.3 when he says, you know, just don't let any hint of sexual immorality be around you. That in Christ we're new people, guys. The second piece is we as men. Guys, let me... Hear me here, especially you young brothers. Do you understand that Timothy says that we are to treat women like sisters? The Bible says we are to treat women like sisters, like your sister. You don't go and begin to kiss all over your sister and feel all over on her, her breast and her butt. You don't do those things to your sister. If she's not your wife, she's your sister if you are a believer. And God is saying, you do not defile her until you are ready to marry her. You don't put your hands on her. Why does God say that? Because he understands the effect of sexual and bodily sin. And how there are women who cannot have sex, guys, because other guys have defiled them in the past. I'm asking you to listen to the Lord and let's repent and let's enjoy the gospel. It's a very tragic story. But the thing is, it doesn't end there because Jesus will get the last say. And I'm asking you to let him have the last say in your life. Men, these women in here are sisters. And unlike Jacob, we are to protect them. I'm serious. I'm serious about that. People in this body, we are to protect these women, guys. And how dare any of us, if we see a girl pushing up on an unbeliever, hang with some guy who's a bunch of crap, and we don't step in and protect our sisters. I'm asking each man in this room, you say you're a MacAver, to covenant before the Lord that you will be a man and you will protect the women here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take um, communion. We're going to do tithing offering. I want to ask you to just be prayerful, Enjoy the Lord. If you're, if you're not a believer, we ask that you allow these elements to pass by you. This is just for the people of God. 
If you're a believer, allow this to be a time of worship for you. Worship the Lord. And if you're right now saying, today I want to give my life to Jesus, I believe uh, that Jesus, uh, that he doesn't hold my sin and that he has died on the cross for me, uh, that he lived a life, and it's, the scriptures say that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf and that God has now died and risen for me, uh, that I want to be saved, that I want to give my life to Jesus and begin this destiny that God has called me to, to, to fully be human, to worship him. Um, let this be the first, your first act of worship, communion, okay, guys? Our, the, the bread symbolizes his body broken for us. Uh, the wine symbolizes his br- blood shed for our sin. Take and eat, remembering Christ's death until he comes, and remember the reality of the resurrection. So we're going to do that. We grab him up here. Uh,